Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Kino Collective Podcast. Today with me, we have uh, lots of people. We have Jay, we have Chloe, we have James, we have Kitty, we have Louis, we have Solomon, and me as well. Um, today, we're going to be discussing a Spike Lee joint, as I said in the last episode, but I'm afraid, guys, I didn't do the right thing last episode. Um, I said it was the first feature film of Spike Lee when really that was um, She's Gotta Have It. So I apologize profusely. Um, and if we could just move on and I'll uh, talk about the film. So I'll give a quick synopsis. So the film basically centers around Sal, who is an American Italian, and his um, pizzeria, or pizzeria as they call it in the film. Um, and that's where all the tension kind of brews around. You've got Spike Lee, uh, Spike Lee's character called uh, Mookie. He works there. Um, and there's a large ensemble cast, a large ensemble tale. Um, but the tension, the racial tension comes to a boiling point, all because of um, the Wall of Fame exhibit at the uh, pizzeria, which, only, uh, which exhibits only Italian actors. So you've got Giancarlo Esposito's character bugging out and he believes that a pizzeria in a black neighborhood should showcase black actors and celebrities. Um, and it all kind of comes from there. There's other stuff going on as well. It's very much um, intertwined narrative, um, but there's lots of themes of um, racism, love and hate in this film, um, community, neighborhood. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it. I'm just wondering, what did people think? Did people, like the film do they think it is a good film or did they not like the film do they think it was a bad film i thought it was a very very good film glad to hear yeah i loved it actually i thought it was a great film i think like it being considered as one of the best classic uh, films of all time is true i think it's a really really good film uh, and even though it's you know 30 years old um, it's it still holds up as, as such a defiant um, and engaging film. Very well made film to me, and like very impressive. That didn't necessarily resonate with me, and in a few ways bugged me. But I mean, overall, I think my views on it are positive. But yeah, have a few strong criticisms. Interesting. Be in, yeah, it'll be good to uh, hear those when we get uh, into the nitty gritty of because um, I certainly have some. I really like this film, but there are some certain aspects of it that I think haven't aged well, but then some other aspects I think um, remain as great, if not, you know, better with time. I think it was really slow. Just the whole film for me felt so slow. And like the first hour, I was just sitting there waiting for, for something interesting to happen. And I didn't really, I didn't go into it knowing it was a really famous or like classic movie, but I, I liked the last half hour, the last 45 minutes. And I liked it because of all the building up it did, but just after the first hour, I felt like, I even felt at one point turning it off just because it was, the, the build up was so slow. It didn't really seem like it was going anywhere. But then the characters are sort of what kept me on it because that's sort of the main part, just everyone in this neighborhood and all of the separate storylines and when it all comes together. But no, I didn't think it was my favorite film or an amazing film. I thought it was good, a good thing to watch. 
I think Solomon's right. I think there's like half an hour of the film that didn't really need to be there. And that, you know, it's something you have to kind of stick with um, uh, to get to the end, but which is worth it. I mean, the end is, is the last half an hour, 45 minutes are incredible, but you know, there's, there's a lot of scenes that could have arguably been kind of taken out. I won't lie. Like the first half an hour, I actually enjoyed a lot more than the last half, which I know sounds quite surprising, but I just love the whole kind of setting up of this environment. I felt like, I just felt like super immersed within their world. And I thought, I I knew it wasn't going to stay just, you know, without a storyline, but I thought that if it did do that, if it just kind of, you know, told these like very minor stories within this community, which they live in, I would have been fine with that, I feel like. Um, but I still enjoyed the second half as well. I, I just, um, I, I found the first half an hour um, quite significantly enjoyable. I, felt, I agree. Sorry, James. No, that's fine. Um, I felt it dragged in sort of like a, it's going to sound weird at first, but like a Tarantino sense. Like there were a lot of scenes where it felt like the only intent was here. It was like, oh, look at me. I'm an auteur. I can do this. You know, like, oh, the camera's moving here. And it's kind of like, I understand that this is made in a time where there weren't many directors doing that. So like Spike Lee being this kind of bold with his style was probably something quite new. But just in context, you know, like it's kind of, um, I feel like unlike Tarantino, he has actually something worth to say. So it doesn't annoy me as much. But like sometimes like I get a sense that it's just trying to be flashy for the sake of flashy, you know? And I feel like, I don't know why, that just kind of often annoys me where a film is more just like, oh, look, we're doing this. I think that was sort of, sorry, sorry. No, I was just going to apply really quickly. I think that was sort of just part of the film's aesthetic, the whole glamorous. I think comparing it to Tarantino, who just does senseless violence, doesn't really hold up. Oh, that's at least my opinion. But anyway, yeah, Jay, what are you going to say? No, I, I agree with that. The sort of all of the points that have just been said. I think it is. It sets itself up as a really stylistic landmark almost of the film. But that's something that I really like about it. It's, it's not, it doesn't feel like this big gritty drama, and it sets itself up as this really colourful. It feels quite boisterous visually, especially. It's fun to look at as well as to be in. I was happy to be in this, in this world. No, I thought I thought originally that it was set in lots of different places, in New York with these different characters. There's the group of men against the red wall. There was the pizzeria. There was Mookie's street. And it, it took me a, a little while to clock that it was all one on one neighborhood. And I really liked that. I thought it worked. I mean, I think that's what really ties the film together is that sense of a deeply intertwined community. You get lots of shots in this film where you get uh, other characters just walking uh, in the background, you can just notice them, and you see, you know, these people walking around, going from A to B, B to A, uh, all interacting with each other. And I think that's part of what's great with this film is that it seems as though everyone knows each other, and everyone has a relationship or an opinion about someone else in this film. Um, and yeah, that that real sense of a of a community that's um, you know thriving and very dynamic, but. 
yeah, if I could go back to the start of this film, because I think um, we have touched on it a little bit, but it's it's very striking. I think about the the presentation of of a heat wave. You know, the way that is that sweltering heat is presented, the wide angle uh, lens shots where people's kind of faces are almost kind of glued to the screen, and you see the beads of sweat on them. Lots of Dutch angles as well, low angles with characters I think um, there's a lot to pick out is there any kind of particular technique or way of shooting that people were struck by maybe even something that you didn't like well I usually hate breaking the fourth wall um, unless it's done very well and very like I'll give an example and this I, I'm I, I'm gonna hate myself for using this as an example but I watched Enola Holmes on Netflix like a month ago and it like the constant breaking of the fourth wall made me so angry. It just, it just didn't work. But I feel like in the context of this film, it, I, he, he pulls it off so perfectly. Um, and that was really something that stood out to me, um, the way he was kind of able to get away with that. And the constant addressing, or, well, it, it wasn't kind of really directly addressing the audience, but it, it felt as if a lot of the times there were scenes in which you are being directly addressed which I'm going to say again, but kind of, you know, immerses you within this world, which, you know, a world which for some um, would seem quite alien. So um, I really thought that was um, a very clever thing to do and a very effective uh, thing to do as well. I, um, I want to say I don't hate all the stylization. I probably made myself sound too, like, ridiculous there. I just meant, like, there are a few moments where I tried to, but, like, one thing I absolutely love was just the opening scene. Um, just you know it was a bunch of women break dancing to like fight the power and it literally starts with like a bunch of weird jump cuts and I just loved that because I was like literally the second I saw that I thought I know what this film is sort of going to be like obviously I didn't know everything but it's like it just so perfectly gets you to understand the film I will admit in retrospect that seems almost a, di a bit disappointing um, because like looking back on it that was well, like I'm pretty sure all women you know in that intro and then when it comes to representation or just inclusion of women throughout the rest of the film it's a bit lacking but I know you want us to discuss that later so I'll leave it at that for now I don't know what it was about the style and it, it must have been the way that you were immersed in it but I watched I watched the film on quite a cold morning and um, nestled into the sofa but um, watching the film I genuinely felt really warm I think it's, it's probably the colours um, and maybe the constant talk of heat. It, it did something to me. It was a very strange thing. I feel like the heat is almost a character in the film or, you know, at the least it is a very strong catalyst. Um, yeah, I think a shot that strikes me or really struck me was um, is one, I think it's a kind of zoomed in long shot of Radio Rahim. You can literally see, you know, when the heat uh, makes the air kind of um, kind of vibrate, as it were. Um, but that just adds, adds to the um, sense of tension, I think. Um, you know, you think about what it's like. I mean, I know it doesn't really get that hot in Brighton or in the surrounding areas, but, you know, when it does get hot and you are hot, you know, you're hot and bothered, you do, you are more um, kind of uh, irritated, easily irritated. Uh, and, you know, that 
that's you know, quite everyday experience, but this is kind of dialed up to 10 in this film. Um, and, you know, it all goes in with those metaphors of, you know, boiling over, um, you know, the volcano exploding. Or it's, you know, I just think it adds. And I, I like what you say there, Jay, about, you know, literally feeling the warmth almost radiate off the screen. Yeah, for me, I just loved like how vibrant the film was. Like it was so bright, like there was so much like sunshine and colour and all that kind of stuff, which maybe it's kind of a little bit ironic that like it, it's so bright and colourful and it deals with kind of like some dark topics as well. Um, but like the shot that you um, said like, when you mentioned about like Radio Rahim, the shot that stood out for me was um, when Mookie's talking to him in the street and it's kind of like low and he's looking right at the camera. Um, and that's when he shows his love and hate, um, like rings, knuckle dusters, whatever they are. Um, and it's kind of like really low, but like you're really kind of close in. Um, I thought it was just kind of like, it's it's very different to what you see nowadays. I thought it was just like a really kind of unique and quite cool way of, of showing things like that. I just really liked the style of it, really. The irony that you pointed out in the fact that it's colourful, but such a, a dark and almost disturbing film. Could that be intentional? Could it be a presentation of the fact that even when life is so brilliant, there are always these problems going on? I've just thought of that, but I thought maybe that's an interpretation that some other people have. Maybe. I think that's really interesting. I think that's a really important thing in film, you know, because um, I think it's the point, like, even in the worst scenarios, people find happiness. And I think there's a problem of like, especially from white filmmakers, where any film about race is like, oh, look at the sad, you know, like miserable, hopeless life, you know? And it's um, it's quite insulting, I think. And also it's just kind of like, it almost makes people think, why bother, you know? So I think that's really good. Having this, you know, very serious topic and showing like, you know, kind of horrible realities of racism. Like it shows these people still enjoying life. And there are many scenes that are, you know, fun and like, I wouldn't say there's ever a scene. I'm not sure if there's any scene where there isn't really still kind of like you can sort of feel the tension and just reality of kind of the world there. But you know, obviously, there's scenes where like that's not the number one thing in the character's mind. They can sort of forget it for a bit, you know. And I think that's important. You know, I can think of any very few other films that did that besides um, Blind Spotting. So, in terms of the characters, because there are such a wide variety in this film, do people have favorites not in terms of whether they think they're good people because you know that's a whole different thing about where these characters are good or bad i would argue that um there's only a, a, a few maybe a, a couple purely good characters um but where what were people's general thoughts i mean there's you know so many striking characters bugging out radio rahim sal um often i oftentimes i thought the film went quite like a play. It almost felt like these people were performing for us more than being themselves sometimes, not in a bad way, but in a way where you really got to see their personality um, exaggerated in just the right amount. My, my brother walks in when I was watching it and he said the exact thing you just said. He said that he thought it, it, it was more like a play than a um, actual film. And he, that was him watching like two minutes of it. And I can definitely agree with that because just the way it, it sort of plays out and how the characters interact and stuff, you you get a lot more from it. And that's might be one of the reasons why I thought it was a bit slow moving because it really delves into the characters instead of just 
giving you what you need for the plot. And so, yeah, it, it definitely does something special with the way the characters develop. But the, the one thing I was surprised about was uh, bugging out and how he's the, uh, the meth kingpin in uh, Breaking Bad. And in this film, he's just like a, a 20-year-old person on the street. And it's just, it's really strange how like actors can develop this through time. Because I didn't know that until halfway through. Because I thought I recognised him. And there's no way I could have uh, could have assumed he'd be that person. But not all the, all the characters just work really well together. And sort of the clash at the end brought them a lot closer or gave them a lot more sort of personality and emotion, I'd say. It was, I thought, such a great cast of characters. There wasn't, there wasn't a character that I didn't enjoy seeing on screen. Obviously, there were some that I didn't like, but um, they all brought something really different to it. But I think the ones that stuck in my mind the most, or the ones that I, I liked the most, were some of the really less important side characters. Like, was it was it mother sister? Was that her name? Um, and I can't remember the guy, Samuel L. Jackson, on the radio. But I really liked how they sort of, they took, they took you out of the main story just for, just for a little bit, just for, they were like breaking up the scenes, adding a bit more life and I'd say realism into it. And certainly on the radio with the music, it just adds atmosphere and it really helps it helps to put you in into this environment again, I think. Yeah, I think um, with Samuel L. Jackson's character on the radio, I'd say, um, as I was mentioning earlier, he is one of the few good characters, but in a way he is almost separated. He never comes out of his um, his radio shack. You know, he's always behind that glass screen. He's, he's always, he is visible. There's quite a funny moment where he's like um, doing lots of uh, gestures behind. Um, Spike Lee and Sal talk, having a really serious conversation, and then Samuel Jackson just waving around doing his radio stuff. Uh, but yeah, that comes back to my point of you know you can literally see all these other characters in the background of these shots. Um, it makes you think about how interconnected they are. But um, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson, I think he his his radio is even called We Love Radio, and it's got a giant sign that says Love underneath. And I think that's just testament to that he is the love side of that um, that spectrum between love and hate. You know, you can tell he loves this community um, and he, you know, he loves feeling a, like a part of the community and um, presenting them with culture and music in that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, as with you, Jay, I, I find it hard to think of a character that I didn't like their um, presence on screen, really. Uh, I could say there are characters that could be more developed, um, you know, mostly the female ones. Um, but we'll probably get out to that. I think something that the film does so well is it really creates this environment of, um, of you know, uh, of the area or the neighborhood of, of New York. I can't remember which one it is, but you know, it, you really feel like each character has a kind of sense of place in the, in the, um, in the area and that, and that there's a real sense of community. You know, there's the, the elders of the, of the woman that's looking out the window and the, and the, the man who saves the, um, uh, the boy uh, and, you know, all, all, drinking and all the rest. Uh, and then you've, you've got such a diversity of characters, each playing different parts. I think that 
once you put this in, this massive cast together, it creates a real, um, it, it creates this like authentic feeling of, of, of the neighborhood. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, yeah, the characterization is just uh, one of the best things in this film, I think. But going on to one character in particular who I think is interesting, not least because he is the director and writer of the film, is um, Spike Lee's character, Mookie. I'm wondering how do people respond to him? Do people, first of all, do, do you like him as a character, but do you actually think he is a good person? And do you think in the end of the film, when he throws the um, garbage can through the window of the uh, pizzeria, uh, do you think he does the right thing? When he does that, it sort of, it, it shows this line between his work and his personality, I'd say, because he, he goes back the day after and just asks for his money as if he didn't do anything or wasn't involved. I think that's the most interesting part about his character, the part where he, he works these people and then he lives with these other people and these two communities don't connect. And when they do, he, he disassociates from one and then he goes to another. And I think that was the most interesting part. And the scene I'll probably remember most from this is when he goes back the next day after throwing a, a rubbish can into the window and just asking for his money. And when he gives him 500, he just gives her 200 back and says, I owe you 50 quid. And then just the sort of the way he, he puts his character out as, as that sort of person. But then I think as such a young, cause I get, he looks quite young. I don't know how old he was in this, but at such a young age to make a film so good and now so famous, I think he, he's done a pretty good job of it. And it's, I, I guess it is the one that sort of made him famous. I think like in that moment, his character was faced with a really difficult decision of whether to stay on the side of his employer that had basically called him family in the scene before, or stick with the side of his community who was suddenly fighting, who suddenly witnessed something horrific and then fighting against the the person who had shown him so much love. And so he didn't really... I, mean, I say he showed him so much love, but there was also times where they weren't showing him any love. Um, and they too made racist comments. I think that was more in the in the sons than Sal himself. Um, I, I, yeah, I was a bit torn at that point because I felt like, it, although, no, actually, I'm not even going to justify that. The sons were very racist, or at least the eldest one. Um, and so he deserved everything that came to him, but I did feel... I was kind of torn. I felt bad for Sal because he hadn't really shown any hatred, but like everything he'd worked for was then just suddenly destroyed. Um, and essentially Mookie did start it in the whole destroying of the, um, the shop. But yeah, I think, I think that was kind of, in his mind, that was the only thing he could do. Sal seemed very kind of willing to use racism as a tool kind of, or to like vent his frustration or to kind of get what he wants. You know, so I wouldn't say Sol's exactly, sadly say it's exactly famous, but you know, yeah, he's definitely more sympathetic than the brother, than the son. But yeah, I think that's um, interesting. Um, sorry, I'm not sure if I was just thinking she's kind of, yeah, I'm just thinking like, I don't think Sol's like completely moral. I guess I like, I felt some sympathy, but not complete sympathy, because in some ways there is sort of like a, interesting thing with me yeah i feel like he is willing to just sort of use racism 
casually, which I think was interesting to include that because I think that's um, with a lot of films, it's often like racism is like, you know, these overtly, ridiculously like kind of evil kind of like racism. I'm not saying, you know, there aren't cases like that. But I guess the worrying thing is like racism can often be more subtle. Um, I know you mentioned the scene where like just before the pizza is destroyed, he says um, like, you know, he's like actually nice and like, oh, you're like a son to me. Personally, I didn't like that scene. Like I felt like you were given no sense of that. Like I'm pretty sure it's even mentioned that um, Spike Lee's character has only um, been working there for a few months. And like the entire time he's just been rude to me, like, oh, go and do it, just go and do it. I felt like that line was just there because like disaster was about to happen. It'd be like, oh, what we could have had, like literally the moment he said that line, I was like, disaster's about to happen. Yeah, no, it does um, definitely add to the um, the sense of disaster and it makes it all the more um, kind of hard to take in a way when he does throw that garbage can um, into the um, into the pizzeria. But I think what he did actually say was, um, you'll always have a place I, from my memory, I don't think he said anything about him being like a son. I might be wrong. Um, but I think, yeah, certainly there is a sense of impending disaster throughout the film. Um, and to me, although maybe the, thir- the first half an hour might be quite slow to some people, I think you do get that sense. It is slowly built up, you know. Um, and it did remind me, when you kind of say about it being too slow, um, so I think, uh, Solomon, with um, the first, whatever it was, and then it got good for that last kind of half an hour where the tensions boil over. does remind me slightly of, uh, as we were saying, Tarantino and Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood, but I think this film does it much more skillfully. Um, I think the entertainment is still there, that it's so much world building leading up to it, and then the consequences of that violence is so much more felt. Whereas I feel with um, Tarantino, it was more played for kind of comedy, not completely. Um, but yeah, that's my personal thing. Yeah, so in terms of this climactic scene, um, I think what's very striking and what Spike Lee does so well is that there's two big events, two tragedies, if you will, that uh, the audience has to re- react to, but in such quick succession when you think about it, you have to kind of guess which one is um, at the forefront of your mind. The the way the film is structured, it makes you think, are you more shocked by the death of an innocent, um, of an innocent man, you know, Radio Rahim is killed by the cops, you know, police brutality, you know, such vile racism, Um, or are you more shocked about the destruction of property of the pizzeria, you know, it does make you think, because although Mookie's cat, uh, Mookie, you know, throwing that garbage can, it is quite a shocking moment that he does that to his employer. Thinking about what has happened before and him being so close with Radio Rahim, I think um, Spike Lee has even said um, that's why Mookie does it. I mean, I, I'm sometimes a bit wary of directors kind of just saying this is what this means. I, you know, sometimes I'd rather they left it up to the audience because there is an interpretation. Um, that Mookie does it so as to protect um, Sal and his two sons because otherwise the mob would have directed their violence towards them and they could have been seriously injured rather than them destroying the property, which as he points out in that last confrontation between them, you're going to get the insurance on it. 
but then Sal, of course, has his counterpoint to that. But um, yeah, that's what I'm talking about with um, Mookie doing the right thing. I mean, yeah, it is a, such a shocking uh, thing. Spike Lee says it's because because of that anger with him that he had to do something after his friend had just been killed. But then I would say there's a recurrent theme of the song Fight the Power playing throughout. Um, and really in doing that, Mookie doesn't fight the power. He fights the neighborhood. He fights the community. Yeah, just a quick note. What an incredible soundtrack all the way through that film. Yeah, and I love the diegetic nature of it. The fact, the fact that so much of this music is literally characters going around, specifically Radio Raheem, and the almost battle of music. There's even a battle of music at one point between, um, I think, um, a Latin section of the uh, neighborhood and Radio Raheem with his um, kind of um, whatever you call it, jukebox. That's not the word, but his um, radio player. Uh, and God, there is so much conflict in this film, even within, if you want to think about the racial conflict, even within the racial groups of this film, there's conflict between old and young, confrontations between them. And you think about the two um, elder characters, you've got uh, mother, sister, and you've got um, Damer, who is the um, older guy wearing the sort of um, slightly disheveled uh, suit. Uh, but they're actually played by two civil rights activists, interestingly. Um, who were very prevalent in the uh, yeah in the civil rights um, era uh, in the 60s, um, and I think it's interesting that Spike Lee puts them in because in a way is he saying uh, is he maybe critiquing not critiquing as such but trying to shine a light on perhaps how the civil rights movement didn't go far enough and that still there is there are remnants and that racial tension is you know still as uh, prevalent as it was, I've gone on a bit there with different points, but there you are. I think also the um, the Asian people opposite the uh, pizza place. I think it's part of the end where they're like, I, I can't remember what they say. I don't want to get it wrong, but I'm pretty sure they say they're black or something, or like we are like you. I think that's meant to stand out as in there is prejudice everywhere. That's just what I got from it. Sort of that there is prejudice within every community, and that everyone's going to be fighting everyone. But um, the way they sort of accept it just makes me think that there's a, the, the community has sort of, they can accept, but then they also want a place to take up this anger. And, and when he, when Radio, Radio Rahim, I think is when he dies, um, it just sort of shows a brutality. And that, that's when it goes on to the shop being burned down. And it is these people's thought at the end, because throughout the film, they're, they're all getting really angry but you see them get more and more progressively angry and then when it finally kicks off they they sort of win and that's really not what you want and then the short burning down sort of counteracts this and i think that's a a good not a good thing but it sort of gets their own back in a way and there's two quotes at the end which sort of back up this point because that's probably one of the most important parts of the film is when the credits start rolling and there's a a quote from Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, I think, are the two. And that's sort of the message of the film at the end and what he wants to, to tell people. And I just, I think that's quite an interesting point that they sort of come up at the end. And the, the two sort of contrasting points as well, because one of them says about how violence and self-defense is, is not bad and that's what they do. And then there's another one completely just saying violence is bad. But I don't know, I don't know what, 
what sort of one road it was trying to take with putting those two there, except from the fact that it sort of reflects a film. I just think, um, yeah, I think like, I don't think he was necessarily trying to make a specific message with those final two quotes. And you know how after you were saying like maybe he was trying to critique like civil rights. I don't think he necessarily, you know, like not or be retrospective how maybe he didn't go far enough, which possibly is one point. But like, I think like maybe he isn't necessarily trying to make one specific point on civil rights. He's more just trying to reflect kind of the confusing, complicated nature of it, you know. And I think that's sort of like is violence the way or not, you know? And it's sort of like this confusing, conflicting situation where just everything's bubbling up, and it's sort of like, well, they write because in some way it sort of seems like them destroying the pizzeria and he, you know, made it worse, but at the same time a guy was, you know, killed. So in a way it seems reasonable. Um, and I think that was the point of the final two kind of, um, final two quotes, you know, I think the whole point was like, they were completely conflicting, you know, almost, I would say. I mean, not completely, because I guess Malcolm X didn't say like, oh, let's go over and shoot everyone. You know, he didn't have, as he didn't have some place, you know, like Martin Luther King was saying, like, let's never respond violently. It's just going to continue it. And it can't be justified. Well, Malcolm X is like, I don't even see that as violence, you know, because what we have been forced to be through, you know. Um, I don't know, maybe just, yeah, I think that's more the point. Like, this just confusing, complicated nature of how do we, you know, protest for rights, just all of us, you know. And um, I guess maybe the point is, like, he wanted to show, I mean, I don't know, I can't assume what he said, but, like, Maybe there's an attempt to like um, show the more nuanced nature of civil rights because I feel like civil rights is very simplified, very like Martin Luther King, and then almost you ever get taught by like a teacher who's most likely white is the whole uh, judge someone by the content of their character, not the color of their skin, you know. But doesn't like that's all you get, but doesn't really understand all the important theory, all the discussion of like systems, historic racism, you know, stuff like that, like ideology, how like the own stuff stuff we're taught is racist you know uh, i thought the inclusion of the quotes um i i haven't seen loads of spike lee's films but i think from what i have seen and what i know of him he has a very strong presence as um a filmmaker activist he makes films to convey a point he makes film to say something about certain communities and i think the way he does that, or the way that I find he most effectively does that, is through use of, of real, real world, real world quotes, pictures, video footage, um, and those quotes at the end. For me, it just helped cement the points that he had made in the film. It, it just compares it, or not compares, but um, almost cements what he said into this big wall of I'm going to restart that because I have no idea where I was going with that metaphor <laughs> um, <laughs> he he um, he takes the quote and presents it to you so I guess you can evaluate what you've just seen with um, or you can compare it you have this point that's being made in the film that's backed up by these quotes and I thought, I don't know if you've seen Black Klansman, but I think it's done in that one throughout the film instead with photos, videos. And I think they, they do have some footage at the end. But I feel that's, that's what I remember most from that film, is the inclusion of that sort of outside archival stuff. And I think that 
that's this that's the stuff that he uses to make his points yeah definitely i think the two quotes at the end are such a striking moment and a way to tie that whole film up and the the express especially in light of the violence and the you know the, the boiling over the hate at the end but i think the real takeaway for me with those two quotes i'd completely forgotten how it ended and how it ended with those two quotes um i was thinking oh which one does he put first does that mean he agrees with the second one more because he wants to leave you with that one but then what he actually leaves you with is a picture of martin luther king and martin um and malcolm x together both smiling looking happy and i don't read into that really deeply but what i do think is that saying is that there is there is hope you know that in the civil rights movement, the two, you know, wings of peaceful protest and uh, protest that will use violence. There is conciliation. There is a, you know, a, a, a movement that can join together these two, um, these two separate ways of thinking. Um, and that really with this film, there is so much hate, but then there is that love. And, you know, this is typified by Radio Rahim's um, knuckle dusters. Um, I do find it quite funny um, that, the, that somehow um, the arguing carries on past all this violence, you know, them shouting over each other. You get um, the confrontation between Sal and Mookie and they're literally arguing over who should take the money. Who They're kind of, saying no you have it no you had the money and it's like god can these guys not get along um and then with Mookie and his um his girlfriend who's got a kid with she leaves here he leaves and she's kind of goes on a sort of uh rant to him um but I think the overall message of the film if I had to boil it down would be that I think well, actually, I'll rephrase that because I don't really think there's an overriding message. I think it's more of a presentation of what America was like um, in the late 80s. Um, but there is definitely a sense of hope. I think it'd be good to move on now if, if people want to. Talking about female representation in this film, as I mentioned, Mookie's girlfriend. Because um, to me, it's far from ideal. If this film was made now, I'd like to see the characters develop more, especially Mookie's sister. She seems to be actually a good character, but she doesn't get very much screen time. Um, and definitely his girlfriend throughout seems to be objectified more than other aspects that could have been explored. Yeah, one of the notes I made while watching this film was interesting portrayal of women. Um, because obviously you've got Mookie's girlfriend and it's you don't really know that it's his girlfriend. It's kind of not fully explored at the beginning so she's kind of being presented as a single mother um and then then you've got his sister that's being presented as Sal's kind of love interest um she's like something to be slept with essentially she's being like fully objectified in that um and Mookie's girlfriend obviously being objectified um as he kind of seems to just appear so that he can like nearly sleep with her and then leave again um and then the one bit, the the one that made me make this note was right at the end, when the fight scene starts uh, with Radio Rahim in Sal's shop, is the the one woman in the scene just stands there and screams the whole way through. She doesn't she doesn't join in, she doesn't leave. She just stands there and wails. I just thought it was like really interesting. It's kind of 
very kind of stereotypical portraying women as like weak and objects and all that kind of stuff so I didn't really that was the one bit of the film that I didn't really like that much yeah definitely I mean um I think like most would agree that maybe even her response isn't in of itself a bad response but it's the fact that like there's no reason within her character to do that besides she's the woman I guess and I think that's the thing every woman is either passive presented as a nag we're only defined by male um, approval. Even the wise female character, Sister Mother, she's approved by um, the old man. Like her ultimate arc is like her warming up to the old man. And I know that's not like approval in, this, in like the traditional sense of like, oh, please notice me and love me and stuff. But it's ultimately her worth or character arc is connected to male validation. And yeah, um, I mean, going right into this film, I was instantly thinking about gender because um, there's um, the director of um, The Watermelon Woman, Charlene Duyer. I Sorry if I'm butchering that name. I watched a um, panel that had her on it and she talked about how, um, and this is something that inspired her, so I don't want to tell her how to feel about this, but this quote bugged me, but you know, it's good that inspired her at least, but she talked about how... Um, around the time so I don't think do the right thing was out yet but she has to have it was and that was getting a lot of criticism from representation of women and he was basically going to the university and all these women were criticizing her like why did you represent her that way and his response was that's my movie if you want to make you know I can make her want if you want rep women to be represented differently uh, make your movie which really pissed me off because it's like Dude, you have rightfully so criticised so many white directors for their representation of race. You know, I think most famous is he's criticised Django, rightfully so, for, you know, trivialising slavery and turning it in, into something to enjoy. But it's like, by your own logic, you can't then, because that's Tarantino's movie. And it's so, it feels a very, I've got mine, you know, kind of attitude. Like, he seems, you know, it seems like, oh, I'm socially conscious about the groups I'm part of, but like, I don't really care about representation of women. I mean, this is just one quote, so I could be wrong, but like that one thing really stuck with me, annoyed me. And I think like that quote definitely seems to match up with like how women are represented in the film. Like the film doesn't even pass the Bechdel test. So to counter this, I think we've got to look at, you know, the introduction of the film, which is the character of Tina in a boxing uh, costume um, you know, fighting uh, to the song of Fight the Power. So I think that there is not all this kind of, there's not this repetitive, um, no, I agree on all the points that you give, but I'm saying that potentially that um, it's not necessarily uh, like a, a misogynistic intention of, of, uh, of Spike Lee and more of a reflection of how um, uh, females are viewed in the um in these communities i mean the it's di I, I mean it's difficult to explain because i i'm not like a massive fan of everything that spike lee says um but i think that if you start your film with someone um with a woman who's kind of looking really strong and kind of introducing the film in in, in a really forceful way that it, it, it does send a message to the audience. But I would say that still, that seems like, I feel it's slightly male gazy and like, I think that's an interesting point about like, well, maybe there's a point that women 
aren't that valued in that community but like you know just because a community in the film views someone that way isn't a justification for the film viewing that way like if the point was like oh women are treated like this like um show the actual nuance of those women characters within the script itself you can do that you know and i think like do you know what i mean like it's like i don't think that's an excuse though because like this is a film about stereotypes and how people treat and like deconstructing that it's like they managed to show that in the film through like writing quite well characters and having that and commenting on that so i don't think you can really use that excuse for women i don't think you can really use that excuse in any film because it's like just because the characters treat someone that way there's a difference between the world and characters treating someone misogynistically and the script treating someone misogynistically if you know what i mean like give us some sense that they live outside of these stereotypes but like film doesn't because all the women do cohere to being passive or nags or uh something defined by male validation i think another another reason uh, another thing to back up that point is that yeah none of the female characters are really kind of they don't drive the narrative they're kind of they're in the background they're a supporting cast you know and so it is a very male dominated film and all the characters who have a significant impact on the narrative are all male and so no i, I agree with you on, on the points you made i felt they were they were just there to be or to make a plot point out of there was um Mookie's girlfriend, who I can't remember the name of, is it Tina? Yeah, Tina. Yeah, um, she was there essentially just so that Mookie would have something else to do instead of working to create tension between him and Sal. Um, and the sister seemed, again, just to be there to create conflict between Mookie and Sal. And I don't feel... I don't think I can remember anything of note that a, a woman did in the film. And it's a shame because you do, you do expect if, if you've got a film that's trying to combat such big um, social issues, you'd expect it to be able to, if, it, if it's going to combat one, you'd expect it to be able to combat another really easily, even just, just in a in a small way, but it doesn't seem to do that. Yeah, I think um, James definitely summarises it well with the comparisons between someone like Spike Lee's criticism of a Tarantino film, and then as that example you're giving someone to criticise another's female representation, and then saying, "Look, it's my film. I will do representation how I please." And um, I am a fan of uh, a fair few of Spike Lee's films. I I think he's made some subpar films um but yeah it's 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 definitely with a lot of his filmography i struggle to see as we're saying a woman who's you know some someone who's not passive or a nag or you know who's having a conversation that isn't about a male character who doesn't serve the purpose to further the male character's arc and i have this with scorsese films a bit as well i have an issue where i watch them and i think well was there an actually an outstanding female character in this film? You know, it, it's entertaining and, you know, it's good. Um, and it does make me think, and, you know, sometimes you wonder, is, is it even worth these female characters just being there? I mean, you get a film, maybe this is worse really, but a film like Lawrence of Arabia, no women 
and it's like the longest film ever where there was no female speaking part. I think there's like women, women in like certain shots. Um, so I don't know, there's levels to it, you know? Um, these women do have voices, but in terms of the way they're written, I'd say, yeah, they are pretty um, two dimensional. I think it's a shame um, that it is like that. I'm trying to think now uh, back to Black Klansmen. Um, because I feel like there are some stronger representations of women. I feel like, you know, maybe has taken aboard some of that criticism. But um, yeah, um, as with a fair few directors, um, Spike Lee's um, personality, I think he is, as many directors are, uh, fairly bigoted in his ideas. But, you know, there's a certain sense of that with being a director, you know, you control the whole film, basically. Um, but yeah, it's interesting, the idea of hypocrisy in his um, criticism of um, Tarantino. Don't know if you guys have seen any interviews with him, but he does talk very slow, a lot like this. Is there anything he is saying? It's so profound. Interpretation. Yeah, hang on to every word. It's, it's interesting. Um, it was good to see him finally rewarded at the um, Oscars with Black Klansman. Um, I could tell how much um, he enjoyed that. But um, yeah, I feel like we could probably wrap up talking about from what we have talked about, the final um, thoughts about the film. I feel maybe we haven't touched on, when watching the scene where Rodi Rahim is choked by the police, I feel there's strong evocations of um, George Floyd in that scene. Uh, and I feel in, you know, if you watch that film in 2005, there would be a similar incident that would have been on the news recently uh, that would have, uh, that that scene would have reminded you of. And I was just thinking, what do people make of the relevance of this film uh, in today's climate with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, recent protests, and um, maybe how it still rings true today? I think... I found that um, watching it and thinking about the time when it was released and now and all of the space in between, it's it's one of those films that it's timeless. Everyone talks about it, but it seems to be timeless for some really awful reasons because people people are not doing the right thing, and it's it's constantly relevant because of the police brutality that never seems to stop. And I think it, it's, a, it's a good one to watch just to, to be reminded of that and to be reminded of this struggle that, that these minorities are going through. It's, it's timeless. It's a yeah. timeless classic, but we should remember why it's a timeless classic. Yeah. And I think the police are such an interesting part of this film because in a way they are um, a side piece to it really they come in in the um kind of extreme moments of the film with the riot and they are there but they're not really there they're not part of that community and it is quite a cynical bitter take on society uh, at the time and maybe even now that when confronted with an unjust society um people will not always be able to actually direct their anger in the correct way i think there is a glimmer of hope when uh Samuel L. Jackson is talking about the upcoming election and that they should all vote. Um, I think that was definitely put in near the end for a reason. Um, 
but yeah, the police don't really suffer repercussions. I mean, they were the ones that killed Radio Rahim. Yeah, it is the conflict between the uh, races in the community, between the different ages that takes up most of um, the screen time, really, um, which I think is quite a um, sad and bitter message. Yeah, it just sort of goes to show that there's not been much change, really. And he's he's definitely good at making the the point of what is going on at the moment. Because I remember Black Black KKK Klansman had a bit at the end where they basically just show what was going on at the time. And the, the film hasn't stopped doing that. Like, there's never going to be a moment where this film... Well, hopefully there is, but at the moment, there's there's not going to be a moment where this film doesn't have some sort of contextual, like relevance because of the way that people are treated and the, the sort of divide between people and yeah it just it holds up really well with just what was being shown and what's going on really at the moment and he's got a thing for doing that i'd say spike lee definitely okay so that was everyone's um discussions and thoughts on spike lee's uh, do the right thing um a very deep and layered and uh, interesting film, I find, that um, really hasn't lost its meaning um, throughout the years. Uh, but yeah, very interesting hearing people's varied um, thoughts on that. Um, so next week, we are actually doing a masterpiece. Um, it's, I mean, it's literally the best film of all time. So there's no debate about that. Um, it, I mean, it got number one on that, like sights, poles and sounds or whatever, thingamajig. Um, yeah, like Orson Welles, Citizen Kane, you know the deal. It's a good film. There's lots of stuff to talk about. It's just great. And we're going to have a blast talking about it because it's so great. And yeah, it's going to be lots of fun. It's a very good film. It's very good. And yeah, see you next week, guys. Please do tune in because it's a good film. It's very good. Oh, wait, I cannot wait for this one. <laughs> <laughs>